The world measures us constantly and then labels us. And we live by the sense that we are the things that we do, or worse yet, the things that happen to us. We've been spending three short weeks looking for a better yardstick, looking into Scripture to see how God measures us. And what we saw is, first of all, from the psalmist that says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Everything inside us tells us that we are our failures. What we learn is that God sees us quite differently. As with Jeremiah, he says, before I knew you, I formed you. Before you were in your mother's womb, I called you and I appointed you. And then last week, we saw that same pattern of God's calling us out as his own. In Romans chapter 8, when we looked at those profound words about God knowing us in eternity past, and out of that, choosing us, predestining us, setting us apart, and then making us his own, justifying and glorifying us. Those are the things by which we're to be measured. How do we live out that reality? All too often, as Christians, we know we are a new person in Christ. We know we're a new creation, that the law of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the old regulations, the old things by which we measured ourselves and realized that we would never measure up. We've been set free from that. But yet, how do we move forward and live a life that is consistent with that? And the big idea today is simply this. We all live lives, our choices about ourselves, about other people, about our actions, about the things we attempt, our moral choices, all the things we do grow out of who we believe we are. You are not what you do. You do who you are. You see, doing flows out of being. And it's one thing as a Christian to say, I am striving to become what God wants me to be. Another way of measuring ourselves and finding ourselves behind. It's another thing to embrace this journey of becoming what God wants us to be by accepting who we already are. You saw in the video just a moment ago a verse from Colossians chapter 3. And I'd like you to turn there with me today. And we're going to begin at verse 9. Talk about labels Paul says there's a special label that you ought to be marked by and known by exclusively, and that's that you're God's designer label. Verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What Paul is saying is that these labels by which we separated ourselves out, boxed each other in, and pushed each other down, these labels no longer apply to us. The only label that matters is that you and I are all a new person in Christ. The old labels go away. I really like the way Eugene Peterson says it. Let's say it together. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. From now on, you are defined by Christ. 
we have come to Christ, right? We've come to a point where we recognize our need for forgiveness. We've surrendered to Christ as Savior. We've received his gift of salvation. We've experienced what the Bible calls what Jesus called a spiritual birth into a new community, into a new family. We're children of God, and yet we can't let go of the old labels. We can't let go of this idea that we're still trying to achieve and to measure up. And to some degree, Christianity in our hands becomes just another way to be measured. Another way to say, well, I'm not there yet, I'm trying. Another way to constantly be reminded of who we aren't. That's not the journey to which Christ has called us. And so today, as we wrap up this brief look at understanding who we are in Christ, I want to talk about two pairs of labels, one of which we need to leave behind and a new label that we need to replace it with. And the first one is that we are no longer slaves, but free. This is a hard thing for us to recognize and understand because the pattern for us is to embrace Christ, but then to turn around and lay hold of our own form of legalism. In our hearts, we are all legalists. We want to turn everything into something that can be measured and checked off. And that makes us slaves again to a pattern of living that Christ has set us free from. You know, it's interesting. This is Fourth of July weekend, and we're celebrating the Declaration of Independence. But when our country declared its independence, there were almost four million of its citizens that did not experience independence. And those were the slaves, prisoners of a society that had claimed its independence but still reserved the right to hold others as slaves. It wasn't until 1863 with the Emancipation Proclamation, which didn't liberate all slaves. It was another two years after that, 1865, the 13th Amendment, that finally all were declared free. Ironically, England got that part right before we did. After the 13th Amendment, the life of former slaves was quite varied. Many of them never achieved that sense of liberty, not only them, but their children and the children after them, to many generations. Some would argue yet today. You see, there were in the Southern society what they called black codes, a way of keeping those people that government had said you're free in a virtual slavery even though they were declared free legally, society worked to keep them in their place. And many could never break free from it. And then there were many within themselves that were unable to break free. Old patterns, old senses of who they were. Some just never left the plantation. Because even though they knew liberty was possible, they couldn't conceive of life apart from who they had known themselves to be and their ancestors for generation upon generation. In some sense, as Christians, we wrestle with that same thing. Scripture says that we have been set free, Romans 6, right? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. I want to take you to Galatians 5, where we understand that even these early Christians struggled with embracing fully the freedom that was now theirs in Christ from old ways of measuring themselves, even spiritually. Galatians chapter 5, 
verse 1, Paul writes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Interesting statement. And then he goes on and says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul needs to write the church at Galatia because what has happened since God has used him and, and his companions to bring the gospel Others have come behind him who said, if you're going to really be a follower of Jesus, you need to convert to Judaism first. You need to come under the yoke of the Jewish law, and then you can acknowledge Jesus as your Messiah. So what they were saying was, no, you're not set free from regulation. In fact, you are bound by that regulation if you want to experience life in Christ. This was the first great heresy in the church. And it pushed against the very essence of the gospel, that we are saved not of works, that there is no boasting, there is no claiming credit for being right with God, that it is only by grace. And our part is only faith, to believe and to receive. They were coming in and saying, well, that's not quite right. We've got this yardstick that we've been using for generation upon generation to determine what it means to be the holy people of God. And we refuse to let this go. People were being persuaded by him. And so now you understand why Paul says, hey, it's for freedom that you were set free. Freedom is an end in itself. God had in mind in Christ to free us from the law because the law was powerless to produce true righteousness. All the law could do is show us how hopeless we were in attaining it on our own. We've been set free from the law of sin and death, and yet others were coming in and saying, no, that's not quite right. Paul had some very strong things to say about those people because they were saying that Greek men should now be castrated. Not castrated, I'm sorry, circumcised. Well, that would have been dramatic. But in fact, that's exactly what Paul says about these false teachers. He said, I wish they would go all the way and castrate themselves. That's how angered Paul was about this. See, In our own ways, we come back under the old laws and attempt to somehow prove our worthiness. Paul said, freedom itself was one of the goals. It is for freedom that you have set free. Stand firm in this freedom. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You say, see, I think that because we are born legalists, every generation seeks to burden itself and the generation that came after it with some set of external standards that say, again, you are what you do. Or in Christianity's case, you are also what you don't do. <laughs> now, it's not to say that there isn't merit in those lists, but we can't possibly measure ourselves by how well we do with those. That's not ever what Christ meant. We're no longer to do that. When we come to Christ, just like the slaves that were freed in 1865, the culture pressed them back in place. That's exactly what our culture wants to do. It wants to keep us enslaved to measuring our worth based on the rules they want to impose on us. And then we also, like those slaves, struggle with whether we can ever live like truly free people, that we are new people in Christ, that we can actually act differently and live differently, and we convince ourselves just to stay where we are. And consequently, we've been free in Christ, but we never truly experienced that life of freedom. 
Christ says, we've been set free. I don't have to worry about my worth by the world standards, and I don't have to worry about my worthiness by religious standards. Now, Paul, when he addressed this, had to say, so where, where does that leave us? If we're not measured by doing good things, then do we not try? Do we sin that grace may abound? And the phrase that he uses is, in Greek, is meganoto. It's a great, great word. Say that with me. Meganoto. The translation is, may it never be. No, it's not that we put aside an aspiration for living a certain life, but we recognize that we can't do that on our own, and living that life isn't what measures us. We need to recognize that we can do those things first by understanding who we really are because the doing comes out of the being. And that moves us to the second label that we need to put aside, and that is we are no longer sinners but saints. Now, one of the things that I think we have done as a Christian culture is to embrace the word sinner far too easily. I'm not talking about the need to acknowledge sin in our lives and a need for Savior. I'm talking about once we have become a Christian, experienced forgiveness in Christ, we can't get rid of that label. And this is interesting. There is nowhere in the New Testament that the term sinner is applied in the present tense to a born-again follower of Christ. Did you know that? Some might say, well, even Paul called himself the chief of sinner. Go back and read that. He's talking about the past salvation, that Christ came and died for all sinners, among whom he was chief. You see, the word saint is used 200 times in the New Testament to refer to God's children, and the word sinner is never used. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't sin. All of us write, but it doesn't mean we're writers, our identity changed when we came into Christ. What happened when you and I came to Christ? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and following. If any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself and now has given us that ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors Pleading to the world, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then verse 21, why can we do that? God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why is it true that there is no condemnation if we are in Christ Jesus? Because we are suddenly perfect people? No, because we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are hidden in his righteousness because he took our sin. When God looks at you, there is no condemnation because he doesn't look at you because of your moral record. He sees the righteousness of God. And that's why the term sinner as a label, as a designation, no longer applies to us. It doesn't mean that we don't sin means we no longer think of ourselves as under the weight of guilt. I am not that person anymore. I am a new person. And not because I've done anything, but because I've been hidden in Christ. I am the righteousness of God, and so are you. And that's why the Bible gives us a new designation. You and I are called saints. 
Look with me just quickly at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is what Paul says as he greets his opening lines to the church at Corinth. And let's say this together. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of 200 uses of the word saint And notice a few things about it. First of all, it's not something that we have attained by our own merit. Why are we saints? It's by God's choosing. So we were at last week in Romans 8. God has designated us. He's called us out and set us apart. So we are saints by the work of God. Who are saints? All those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the line, we got off track with this idea of saints, and we we designated saints as those who lived an exceptional life, but more than that, in whose name and by praying to them, miracles have occurred. So we gave them sort of a second-class deity status, and we thought saints were those kind of people, the Mother Teresas of the world. They're saints. Well, they are. They were also exceptional people. But the two aren't necessarily related. Any one of us who is in Christ is a saint. You are a saint. Now, what we have done within the non-Catholic world is to resist using that word except for people that are exceptionally good people. How many times have you said, boy, that woman, she's a saint. Why? Because she puts up with that man. That's a saint. We designate saint based on what? Merit. Performance, doing, coming again under slavery. That's not what God does. God says, you're a saint. You've become the righteousness of God. I did that to you. I set you apart. You are a saint. Powerful thought. How does this relate to who we are to become in Christ? Right? Scripture promises that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to bring it to completion. So, As a Christian, how do I put this together? How do I aspire to living this life of freedom, to to living a life that in some way honors the title of saint without at the same time getting lost in the need to prove and attain? I think this is where we lose our way. We accept the grace that has been given us in Christ for salvation And then we take on the mantle of slavery in terms of trying to earn God's blessing as his children, thinking if I do the right things, then I'll be called a saint. Then I'll be pleasing to God. See, the point is, God's done that. Under that legalistic model, we spend our whole life as Christians waiting for the hammer to drop, for us to be judged, when in fact, the hammer has already dropped on the hands and feet of Christ. He took that condemnation. It's the difference between believing that somehow God will find me worthy if I just work hard enough versus recognizing that God has made me worthy in Christ. And now accepting that, I can let that free me to live that life. Here's the big picture again. What you do flows out of who you believe that you are. It is an understanding that I am a free man and woman, 
that I have become a saint and firmly laying hold of that that changes my way of thinking and enables me to live that way. And that leads us to this last point before we head to the Lord's table this morning. And that is this idea. We are not believers striving to become saints. We are saints who are becoming like Christ. How would that change our perspective? If I honestly understood who I am, would I not aspire to lead a life, as Paul says, worthy of that calling? All of us could think through the difference between somebody who lives an exceptional life out of a sense of wholeness and understanding who they are. Perhaps they're members of a family that has just helped them understand who they are. And so consequently, they carry that with them. And it impacts their choices. It impacts who they are because they know that they're part of something that is important. And they naturally rise to that. We all have seen people like that, but we also have seen people that are exceptional achievers in life, and we know that underneath, it's just brokenness. They're achieving because they're measuring themselves constantly, and they'll never be worth it. It'll never be enough. They're pouring all those achievements into a black hole. That's the difference between accepting the fact that we are no longer slaves, but we are free in Christ, and that we are no longer sinners. We're saints. Believing that and then rising to that as Christ's children. That's what the cross made possible. And so as we come to the Lord's table today, we're to remember the cross, but we're not to re-enter into that slavery that held us before the cross. We're not to go back to that sinner. We need to remember it, as Paul said, but it's not returning to it. It's not returning to that guilt It's coming with gratitude that we are no longer those people. It's coming embracing that because of the bruised body and the shed blood of Christ, we are new people, new creations, with a brand new set of labels. Perhaps for some of you, you've been measuring yourself for so long that that you don't know how to begin rethinking Ask God even now as we come to his table to use this as a first step forward into a fresh perspective and acceptance of yourself as one who has become the very righteousness of God in Christ. Father, as we come to your table today, remind us, help us to come with gratitude, with a fresh aspiration to live out lives that are indeed worthy that flow from out of who we truly are in you as your children, as your holy ones, as your saints. In Jesus' name, amen.